Ever wonder what psychologist moms talk about when we get together? Whether we're consulting one another about a challenging case or one of our own kids, or just leaning on each other when parenting feels hard, because trust me, even when we do this for a living, it's still hard. Joining me each week in these special Thursday shows are two of my closest friends, both moms, both psychologists. They're the people I call when I need a sounding board. These are our unfiltered answers to your parenting questions. We're letting you in on the conversations the three of us usually have behind closed doors. This is Securely Attached, Beyond the Sessions. Hello, I'm so excited. I got Dr. Emily Upshur, Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg here. Welcome back to Securely Attached. We're going to get into the Beyond the Sessions segment and answer a listener question. Uh, Today is a question that I was DM'd by um, a mom named Sarah awesome name. And she said, Hi, Dr. Bren. I just found your podcast and have loved every episode thus far. I just finished episode seven discussing differing parenting styles between you and your partner. I'm home part-time with my daughter and I'm the primary caregiver for her day and night, which has given me lots of practice on figuring out her likes and dislikes. My question is, how long do you allow your partner to problem solve and figure it out on their own before intervening? My daughter will become more upset if my husband tries to go in to her in the middle of the night to soothe her. Side note, we went through colic with her, so her losing it is really triggering to me, and I know I can calm her quickly, so it's challenging for me not to step in. Also, my husband has very low patience for her screaming and gets frustrated easily. Again, very triggering for me. Thank you. Okay, so I relate to this. I'm curious what you guys, what your thoughts are. Emily, why don't you hit it off with your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, look, this is the classic. It's really tough, right? You're two different people who are coming into this parenting thing, you know, and your communication skills and all those things are are on full alert, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think like what I always say is, you know, people you know, as much as you can work and discuss and as moms often and, you know, dads too, but the person in the, in the parenting relationship, who's like reading a lot and listening to a lot and researching a lot, right. You feel like you're this like wealth of information and you're like, you know, bubbling over to share that with your partner. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it doesn't, like land, right? Or it doesn't land as much as you want it to land. So I think, you know, my response is really, I think as, as, as the other partner in that is really raising our tolerance a little to that discomfort, right? Like building tolerance, knowing that in the light of not an emergency, not a tragic, not a scary situation, dangerous situation, we really have to work on our tolerance of raising that, that tolerance for frustration or for the sound of your baby crying or, you know, in order to sort of self-regulate better through those moments, because we can't always control the other person. Right. And in this case, when I'm thinking control the other person, I'm thinking both the husband in this situation, but also the daughter, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can't control the fact that your daughter is not calming down and it's triggering for you to hear her distress. Um, like this woman was saying, like there's a, she's been primed the mom because of her experience with her daughter having colic that when my daughter loses it, I know this is triggering to me. Like that's a personal 
history, vulnerability. That's something that this mom has kind of like hurt, whether it's conscious or it's just nervous system based. Like this mom is having a really, really intense stress response to her daughter's crying in part because it's normal to have a stress response to your child's distress, but also because there's some residual stress from the colic that's getting kind of brought into now, which I think is worth noting, not like that we can get rid of all of these old old things we bring with us to mm-hmm. new stressors, but just noticing and naming it and having that awareness, oh, my reaction to her losing, it's compounded right now in this moment because mm-hmm. I have this memory of never being able to get her to stop crying when she was born. It's compounded by the fact that my husband is getting frustrated and I know that he gets triggered by this too. And then I get triggered by, like, there's so many layers of like, oh gosh, here we go. I can feel the anxiety mounting in this woman. And I get that so much. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say is that unfortunately to me, the answer to this question is not the answer to the question she's posing, right? There's not a whole lot you can do like you married someone and he's the dad, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> of course in a calm moment on a date night, like you could say like, Hey, I've learned the coolest thing about our daughter and her patterns and the things that, you know, in a really non-confrontational way, I think parents can have those conversations, but when they're phrased as like, I'm the expert in our kid and you're just a guy who kind of comes in and tries to help and you keep messing it up, which is not obviously language any of us want to use intentionally, but it's somehow, sometimes how the other person hears it, that just never goes well. And so I would encourage, and this is a little bit, you know, fluffy, but I sometimes, it's a tool I use myself. And so I sometimes speak with clients about it. Like I sometimes ask myself, like, what would it look like if I acknowledge to myself that I actually don't know what's best right now? Like, what if I'm actually not the expert? Because I think sometimes our defense mechanisms are that we paint ourselves as the expert. It's like, I know exactly what to do right now. And if only he wasn't such an idiot, he'd know too. You know, it's like, what would it look like if actually like maybe my daughter needs what he's giving right now? Like maybe Mm -hmm. in the big picture, this is like just this idea of relinquishing control a little bit because Mm -hmm. that can be really hard when you are the caregiving parent. And yet it's, I think, a really valuable exercise at letting go of your own stuff that is sometimes helpful in these situations. I love that. I, and I, and I sometimes a little fluffy too, in these suggestions will, will actually say like, can you, as the other person who's, you know, feeling stressed out or triggered, you know, can you actually separate yourself? Like maybe you allow yourself to be not home, you know, for a bedtime routine that's, you know, tough, Just not permanently, right? But as you sort of allow your partner to sort of do this on their own, and potentially it's more loud or, str- you know, there's a little bit more strife there. Can you really make yourself scarce in a way? Because watching can be really hard, right? Like being the person who's looking at it all go down and not wanting to inter- not wanting to interfere, but also feeling like it's quote unquote being done wrong is mm-hmm. also not an idea. It's like watching a, you know, pot of water boil. Like you don't want to sit there and watch it. So I think even creating, um, some distractions, some separations, maybe to walk your dog, whatever it is to sort of give your vasovagal system a little bit of space and time to calm down is another little trick I use. Another, and like, 
one of the things that I my mind goes to is the fact like, okay, I know I can calm her down quickly. And so it's challenging for me not to step in. Perhaps we also look at that as a parent. Like, yes, I can calm her down quickly, but is that actually critical right now? Is it that is that a story we are telling ourselves that the that the being upset is in and of itself a problem that has to be solved quickly? Can we, what is the benefit to perhaps rethinking that, that belief um, as a family, right? Because when we have this intense urge to immediately rescue our children from distress, um, what we're communicating to them is whatever it is that I'm rescuing you from is not safe. You can't handle it. And in some situations that might be true, right? If my kid's about to stick a fork in an outlet, I'm going to get there real fast and I'm probably not going to go slowly and gently and whatever, like equivocate. <laughs> but if my daughter is distressed because she's protesting something she doesn't like, it's not the thing she's familiar with. She wants mom because she knows that routine and she doesn't want dad in this moment because he's not doing it the way that she likes or she's just communicating protest. If we immediately want to turn that off, or in this case, obviously, she's not saying immediately. She's saying, how long can I go? When is the point where I'm saying, okay, hit the most bandwidth? And I'll answer that piece too. But generally, if we immediately rescue, we're kind of saying to this daughter, you're distressed, you're protest, you not preferring this, you feeling frustrated, you having a hard time tolerating what's happening in the moment. That's dangerous. I have to save you from that experience. And that's kind of counter productive in the long run. Now, if you're saying at what point, when do I know when the threshold has been reached where we're not talking about protest, we're not talking about distress tolerance, like she needs my help. Like you got to know your kid um, and you got to know your partner and you got to trust a little bit that they can handle it even if it's super messy. But it's also like, you know, I'm picturing this happening at like three o'clock in the morning and I also just want to throw a little lifeline to parents being like, if you just need to go in and rescue because you want to go to bed and you want to like be able to have a morning, that's okay too. Like you can practice this skill in the daytime in other moments as well. Like, I don't know. I just, I feel like that's important to say, like, you don't have to always let it go and tolerate it. If you're just like, you know what, we all need sleep and this is going to be easier and faster and I'm just going to do it. Obviously, if that's chronically the always go to move, look at that. But if you're tired and you need to go back to sleep, I also think it's okay on the other hand to say like, tonight is not the night that I want to stretch this distress tolerance muscle. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think something that you said earlier really rung true to me, which is, you know, and Rebecca mentioned this, you know, a little bit ago as well, which is how do we know that this isn't right for the kid, right? Like, how do we know that this boundary that dad has a higher threshold might be a healthy thing for the kid, right? That your child to see that like that there's a little bit, I always, this always happens with like, you know, dads being more daring or letting their kids explore more physically, right? That's sort of what, what it reminds me of, which is sometimes that's a good thing, right? Like to learn those boundaries and to see how they're stretched in different ways. Like I might not let my kid climb on the wall and that might be a good choice for me, but maybe it's good for my kid to learn to explore their body and do something quote, a little bit more dangerous within the safety of their father being right there, you know? So mm -hmm. I think it's, it goes back to, is it necessarily 
bad, quote unquote, for the child, right? Or maybe it's just showing them that there's different parenting styles. There's different, you can be, they can be adaptable. They can handle it with different people. And that's sort of the other message as we raise our tolerance to that discomfort, you know, from the parent, from the mother, this mother's side, um, is the other side is like, maybe there's a silver lining or an unexpected benefit of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, that word rescuing in this context, it becomes that you're not just potentially rescuing your child from distress, but that you're rescuing the child from the other parent. Um, and I've found that those messages get communicated pretty easily and quickly to kids. And those roles of like, well, there's the parent who knows how to calm the kid down and who's the expert. And then there's the kind of bumbling guy that you know, or angry guy that the kid needs rescuing from, they can be kind of self-perpetuating. And I think it's really useful to, to do everything you guys have said, honestly, which I'm in agreement with everything, um, in order to not go down that path, because I think some of the negative, you know, and again, there are times absolutely Sarah, to your point, like, Oh my gosh, I have a huge work presentation tomorrow. Like we are not messing around. I'm going in, I'm taking the baby. We are calming her down and putting her to bed. Good night. You know, like there are times. (laughs) Absolutely. None of this is like a a one-off, you know, you can mess this up once and be doomed. It's never that way. But I do think they're real there's a real negative path that can come from starting down that pattern of a parent being a rescuer of a child from the other parent. If that's a legit situation and Lord knows we've all seen that too, then do whatever you need to do to keep your child safe. Right? Like absolutely. But if it's more of a, we have different styles, he gets frustrated more easily, you know, that sort of a conversation, then I think the value of everything that you guys just said of letting a child be exposed to that for the benefit of the child, but also the marriage and the family, Mm -hmm. I think is really important. I love that you said that too, because it reminded me of what you said earlier, Rebecca, which is like, this is the parent of your child, right? So this child, you and this child are going to have to get used to this dynamic to some extent. Like I said before, people change a little, but they don't usually change a ton. They're not going to be a whole new person, you know? And I think this child will have this parent for the rest of their lives. So adapting and learning for the, for you and that child to sort of how to work within that relationship, that dynamic is an important aspect of that. And and even that, even in babies, right. Even in small segments of, you know, building tolerance to that or not, you know, one partner, but not being as quick to calm a child as another, that, that might be something that we all have to get used to. Yeah. And that changes over time. Like you might get tremendously triggered by the same child being four and starting to talk back and you're the parent that gets triggered and totally loses it. And Mm -hmm. your husband is the parent that can stay calm through that. And then you want it to be the other way around. You know, it, 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 Mm -hmm. like, these are not static dynamics per se. Mm, So that's such a good point. I also think as much as we're like, okay, we want to be mindful of what we're communicating to the daughter, to the child, as far as like, you need to be rescued from this distress. There's also a parallel process happening on with the husband, right? Like if I have to rescue you from parenting the daughter when it's hard, 
what am I communicating to this partner, right? What am I communicating to them? Like, you can't handle this. Like, you are not capable and I have to rescue you and you need to be dependent on me. And it perpetuates also some of this like in insecurity or lack of confidence or difficulty tolerating a hard moment with the kid on the part of the other parent that's being rescued too. Because if a parent's constantly rescuing in these moments, there's there's multiple people that they're rescuing each other from and that the, the messaging can kind of go also to the parent that like, you really can't handle this. Like you really need me to step in and rescue. So, and then that obviously in addition to it impairing the other parents like ability to develop that confidence to figure out their own problem solving strategies with the kid develop their own dynamic with the child it also increases the load on the parent who always rescues because now they have so much more to do and they don't have as much of a partner because the partner is not believing they're capable or it's so it, it, it there's fallout there's larger fallout to constantly rescuing your partner because, and you have to do it all. Which can well, right. And I always, right. And what I always say is, even if it's messy, doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Or even mm-hmm. if it's, there's distress, doesn't mean you shouldn't, the other parent shouldn't go out to dinner with their friends, right? Like it's okay for both things, to, those things to be happening at the same time. Yeah. That Absolutely. dialectic. <laughs> Love it. Well, I hope we answered this question by not answering this question, which is completely our MO. Every time people are going to stop sending in questions to us. <laughs> but honestly, I think I, I do like, that's why I like podcasts because there's nuance. I mean, get into like the, the, it depends with a lot more, you know, detail than, you know, an Instagram soundbite. So thank you guys so much for your amazing insights. I hope that this listener found this helpful. And I hope that everyone else listening who might be able to relate to this found it helpful too. Have a great day. Sarah, always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. As you can hear, parenting is not one size fits all. It's nuanced and it's complicated. So I really hope that this series where we're answering your questions It really helps you to cut through some of the noise and find out what works best for you and your unique child. If you have a burning parenting question, something you're struggling to navigate, or a topic you really want us to shed light on or share research about, we want to know. Go to drsarahbrenn.com forward slash question to send in anything that you want Rebecca, Emily, and me to answer in this new series, Securely Attached Beyond the Sessions. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash question. And check back for a brand new Securely Attached next Tuesday. And until then, don't be a stranger.